Our scripture reading this evening is Genesis 12, 1 through 9, the call of Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Merah. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, and from Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going on toward the Negeb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so uh, we've been in this series, this faith and work series, and we've been using uh, two characters that I completely made up, Bob and Shirley, and what they are is they're just a composite of you and me, right? Composite of all of us in a vocation, in an employment, whether it's domestic employment or whether it's in corporate or organizational employment. And... Uh, uh, what we said about Bob and Shirley is just giving them the benefit of the doubt at their most, let's say they're hyper-involved churchgoers. Like they just get involved with all the programs and they give and they're, they volunteer and they, they go on mission trips and they just do the whole shebang. And uh, if you look at how much of their life that is, that's about 5% of their life. Okay. Um, but they spend over a third of their life, most of their life, even more around their family, at their jobs. And I was reflecting this past week and I, I thought, wow, I've never preached on faith and work in, in, a, in a devoted way in 20 years of ministry. And I thought, how sad is that? How sad is that? Is that I haven't even preached to where people spend most of their lives. So this is fun for me to actually get a redo on being a minister and a preacher. So that's fun. Uh, but Bob and Shirley, so the, the, the first part, I'm going to do a micro recap of, of, of what we've been going through. So the first part is Bob and Shirley had to realize something is that whatever they do, right? So if they account for things or if they organize, if they schedule, whatever they do, um, God has done that first. God has, does those things. God organizes and schedules and accounts for things so that when you, when Bob and Shirley go into their workplace, um, they're not, they're, uh, it gets rid of that silly, secular, sacred divide because when they go in their workplace, they're doing God things. So that's a big vision of work, huge vision of work. Oh, I can worship God and do spiritual beautiful spiritual things at my work. So that was the, the first thing Bob and Shirley are, whoa, I, I didn't know my work mattered so much. I thought I had to be a weekend warrior at church to do God things. No, I can do God things at my work. 
Um, but then we ran into this is Bob and Shirley is like, I, I love that vision. That's a great vision of work. But I go into work on Monday morning and you know what? My coworker's an idiot and my boss is a jerk and, and things break and it doesn't work and all my projects don't go the way and everyone gets on board and, and they get discouraged about work because all of the bad things start to happen at work because it's real life, right? So, so we said, this is, the, this is the vision of work. It's a beautiful vision of work, but then sin jacks it up. Sin jacks up and infects work. So Bob and Shirley get discouraged all over again. They're like, that was a great vision of work, but that's not what I see in my real life. Okay, so then we had to talk about, okay, how does Jesus redeem work? How does Jesus redeem work? Um, so uh, I, I'm not gonna go over my, my sermon from the last couple weeks. You don't want that. You don't want two sermons. But we discovered this is that at our core, is that there's a broken relationship with God. And so what we do with our work is that we run to our work and say, give me things that only a relationship can give me. So if we've left and we have a broken relationship from God who says, um, I love you and you are full of dignity, worth, and value. What we've said is, no, thank you, sir. I'm going to go to my work and I'm going to be really, really busy. And I'm going to make my work yell back at me. You are full of dignity and you are finally lovable and you are full of worth because you've done all of this good work. Right? And so Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm going to patch and repair that relationship with the father and I am going to, I'm going to make it so that you don't have to run to your work for dignity and worth, right? I'm going to, I'm going to reestablish that relationship. So now you're freed from work having to what? Yell back at you. Oh, you're so lovable. You're so great. You're so awesome. Thank you for doing that thing. No, I get Jesus has already solved that. So now work is freed up to actually be redeemed and be something else besides a dignity giver. That's a big idea of Jesus redeeming work. And so now it frees us from work and then we become agents of freedom wherever we are. So that's the micro recap. See, I'm already getting agitated. And that was the recap. That's just the recap. So this week, Bob and Shirley, they've been thinking about this. And they're like, okay, does God call people to certain types of work and places? Like, is there a thing that I probably should be doing and I probably shouldn't be doing other things? That's the question that they have. Like, we want to know, is there a certain part of creation that God wants us to be in? And how do we figure that out? How do we discern that? So that's what we're doing this week. Now, you might think this, okay, Tim, that's a question for um, a new graduate, like high school, college, post. Like, those are the people asking that question, like, what, what should I do when I get older? That's, 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 a, that's a younger person's question. But increasingly, I think, uh, I think it's a question for everyone. I think there are, yes, those that are in chapter transition points from life used to be this way, but now life is a certain way. And in this transition point, you're like, oh God, is there something you want? Is there a specific place you're, you're pushing me towards and calling me to and commanding me to be there? So yes, those, but, but, I, but I think I'm seeing also too, maybe it's because I'm in midlife 
and I'm talking to a lot of midlifers, is I'm seeing this question come up and it's been held at bay for years. Because when we were younger, we were put on the right track. High paying, responsible work. And it could have been from our parents, it could have been from our grandparents, it could have been by, from our culture or peers, whatever it was, we were put on this certain track that we thought, that's probably what I should do. And now, midlife is weird because you're like, should I be doing that? Maybe I should just stick with it because of security and everything. But then those questions are in the back of your mind. So quick clarification here. I'm not gonna give you a talk on discerning God's will tonight. If that's where you're struggling with, like a specific decision to make, I, that's not this talk. There is some overlap. I would commend a book for you, a really small book. Um, it's called Just Do Something by uh, Kevin DeYoung. So if, if that's what you're kind of struggling with tonight, um, but that's not gonna be the, the scope of what I'm talking about. Uh, what I'm gonna talk about is understanding the call of God to a specific employee and place with your skill set. And so um, I'm going to use, uh, I got this from Oz Guinness. And Oz Guinness is what I call a C.S. Lewis wannabe, which is a very, very high compliment because I like C.S. Lewis, right? But he'll never be C.S. Lewis. Sorry, Oz Guinness, if you ever see this. Uh, and he says this, he says, every Christian he proposes this. Every Christian has a primary call, a secondary call, and a tertiary call, which fits great with a sermon, right? <laughs> so um, uh, this, is, this is what he talks about when he says that every Christian has a primary calling. You have a primary calling on your life, and you're like, what is it? I can answer it for you. Uh, every follow, follower of Jesus has the exact same primary calling on their life. And it is over all of your life. It's over your resources. It's over your time. It's over your relationships. It's over every body part that you possess. It's on your possessions. It's on your money. It's on your me time and your free time. What is that primary call? This is your primary call. I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus in all areas with all of the things, with all of me. That's, that's a primary call that applies to you tonight. Even if you still don't know Jesus, I would say this, is that the call of God, the call of the universe is over your life. Follow your creator. That's a primary call. Um, I love this section of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a discussion from God the Father to God the Son. If you ever read Psalm 2, and I'm going to paraphrase what happens in Psalm 2. And the, God the Father basically is talking to his son and says, all right, I'm going to ask you to do this big thing. I'm going to ask you to go to earth. I'm going to ask you to die on the cross. I'm going to ask you to stay in that body for eternity. I'm going I'm to ask you to do this thing. What do you want from it? He asks him, ask, in fact, God the Father says, ask me anything you want and I'll give it to you. And in Psalm 2, it's as if the son replies and says, um, I've thought about it and I think I want all of creation 
<laughs> and so the end of Psalm 2 says, um, kings of the earth, therefore, you better kiss the sun because you're on his grass. <laughs> you're on his property. It'd be a good idea to become friends with the sun because all of it is his now. Um, Abraham, Abraham Kuyper, um, great theologian, did some lectures for Princeton even. And, and I love this quote. He says, he, he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine, mine. Whoa, <laughs> it's his. So this is what I'm saying. Why is this important? Uh, I don't know if some of us are there yet. That's why I'm not gonna gloss over this first one. The primary calling is for you to follow Jesus with all of who you are. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before, Tim. Let's go to that second point, that secondary calling thing. This is why I'm not gonna gloss it over. Because like you, me, a lot of times I'm like, hey, I love this big idea of how you're over everything, but guess what? There is this square inch right here that I cannot give you. So that's why I'm not glossing it over. Now, commonly in my own heart and also in pastoral years of experiences, uh, I, I think this, I think a lot of people think that square inch is some sort of brokenness where they say, I cannot let God in to start fixing that. Commonly, it's brokenness where they're, where they're just flawed, deeply flawed, and they're frightened. But on the other side of that coin, commonly I've seen this too, is sometimes the square inch that you will not give to Jesus is something that you feel comes so naturally to you. It is so intrinsic to you. It's so instinctual to you that you're like, I just do this thing. And everyone's like, how do you do that thing? You're like, I don't know. I just do that thing. I, it's easy, come on, keep up. And, and the reason why we don't let God have, what, his sovereignty over that square inch that we're gifted at is because we're like, oh, I gave that to myself. <laughs> I'm just good at it. And so tonight, um, I think there are some of you that might have to stop at this one. Like you don't have to listen to the, the secondary call. You don't have to listen to me blow on. You might have to stop at this one and say this. Tonight in Alhambra, California, on some dusty asphalt with a lemon tree nearby and a helicopter overhead. Was that a helicopter? Tonight, you're gonna rule over all of me. So you're gonna say, and I, I have this desire to follow you in all areas. And I don't wanna follow my desires to be endlessly amused. And I don't wanna just amass a lump of cash and find some balmy climate to sit in the sand and hit up early bird specials until I die. You don't want that. 
All right. Primary, every Christian has the same primary calling, but let's move on into this secondary calling. Every Christian has a secondary call on their life. And this is what Guinness means by that. It's what the writers of scripture mean by this. The secondary call over your life is gonna be very, very different. It's gonna look very different for Abram when he was called out of Haran. It's gonna look very different for Jonah. It's gonna look very different for Isaiah and Jeremiah. It's gonna look very different for the apostle Paul. So a Christian's secondary calling is your specific assignment given to you by your commander for a specific time, a specific place with your specific abilities that probably can't be duplicated by anybody else. So when I say assignment, I say your God's gonna commission you. Think military terms, I, I, that might be helpful. And he's gonna assign you to a place in his employ and where he assigns you, it is going to further his mission and it will not further your mission. All right, so you might be here tonight and you're like, okay, I don't know if I can link, I don't know if I can link what I do in my work to the very mission of God. I don't know if I can do that. Um, I think there are two main possibilities. There are more, but two main possibilities there is this. Uh, one is that you're probably doing your own assignment, parentheses, see Jonah. And if you're doing your own assignment, I would I'd venture to guess you probably know it. <laughs> Jonah knew it. it so if you, you, could, you could just be doing your own thing. But there's a second possibility that I think is maybe more likely in our, in our community is that maybe you just haven't seen the connections between what you do and to the very mission of God. And I think that's probably more likely. So questions to help you think deeply about. I'm not gonna answer them for you, by the way. Um, question, how are you seeing your life and work as vital, not because God needs you, but because he's called you, vital to the God's mission for his creation. Here's, a, here's a, an adjacent question for you. How are you currently involved in restoring the image of God in others? That's an adjacent question. Here's another one. A little different way. How are you involved in restoring the flourishing of God's creation? You could, you could even ask a funny sounding opposite question. Um, if your profession, so maybe not your specific job, but if your profession was taken away from humanity, what horrible things would happen? Just ask, just ask that question. Um, so if you're involved in finance, I, my good friend Darren Keita is here tonight and I'm gonna pick on him. He's involved in finance, right? Darren, thank you for letting me pick on you, all right? Uh, if we took away the financial markets, what would happen? 
liquidity dries up, uh, capital dries up, investment drives up, future projects dry up. There, there are massive things attached to a profession. You say, if we took that away, a lot of horrible things would happen. That's connecting what you do to the very mission of God. Um, you could ask this, if we deleted architect from the pantheon of professions, what would happen? You ask that kind of question, and that's attached to the very works of God. Uh, now, let me predict your yeah, but. Um, your yeah, but says this, oh, you have no idea how corrupt my, my workplace is. It's crazy. Right? And you don't understand how, maybe even Darren might even say this, you don't understand how I see how fi financial markets are inflicting a lot of pain on the weak and the marginalized and people don't have power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like I see a lot of problems with my profession. And I'd say, yeah, we talked about that. That's sin, don't be surprised anymore. But here's that next question. This is for your own reflection. How am I involved in the restraint of destructive forces that kill and pervert creation and my vocation? Um, so to use finance again, it could be seen in your specific spot at your workplace where you say, okay, I am restraining evil. I'm holding back evil because in my specific position, I won't fudge the numbers. That's one way. But it could be this. I am also involved because there are processes in my work in place that actually aid every, more people in fudging the numbers. So I'm gonna be involved in overhauling a process that encourages fudging the numbers. So that's one thing. And then it gets a little bigger and <laughs> you can say this, I wanna be involved in whistleblowing and taking the whole thing down like Enron so that the numbers aren't fudged. <laughs> okay, it could be that. Um, let me give you biblical examples. That's kind of Daniel. I'm gonna have personal conviction that I'm gonna keep on praying and it might land me in the lion's den. Personal conviction, right? It might be Esther and Mordecai, right? We're gonna be involved in a, a little bigger process that saves a bunch of people from dying. And then it could be this. It could be Jeremiah. <laughs> You're sitting at the bottom of a well in your own fluids with the skin starting to come off your bone, <laughs> right? Because you're so committed to your work and calling it out. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, I don't know if I should be a Jeremiah. I like the Daniel thing, that was solid. Tell me more about Daniel. <laughs> but, but you can see biblically that God has called specific people to specific times and places with specific abilities, and he may not be calling you to be a Jeremiah. All right, so the secondary calling is specific to who you are and where you are and what God has gifted you with. Um, all right, so there's a tertiary calling. Primary calling, I'm gonna follow Jesus. He will reign over my life. Secondary calling, I am gonna recognize that he is calling me to a specific place, calling, um, uh, time, place, and abilities but there's a tertiary calling of God and it's contingent on seasonal variables. So we say this, 
I say this. It's the royal we, I guess. Life is providentially ordered and we will recognize it as such. It's, it's amazing to me that Abram is called out of a very, very comfortable life out of Haran. Jonah is called to Nineveh and it's a place he hates. I, I love that section in Jonah. He's like, I knew it, God, I knew it. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew if I came here and I preached to them, you'd be all gracious. I just knew you'd be like that. He hates the Ninevites. <laughs> he can't stand that they're kids in the mercy of God. <laughs> can't stand it. Um, Joseph rots in prison um, at, according to what we have, it's at least 13 years, I think it was more, in prison. He's just sitting there. He's not working. He's not being productive, efficient. He's not contributing to the, GM, the GDP. Jeremiah, like I said, he's at the bottom of a well. So we wanna say this, I wanna say this, keep on using the royal we, sorry. Life is providentially ordered and we will recognize it as such. And we recognize God's hand and presence in all places. And this means that you're gonna be, you're gonna be limited by your age sometimes. Young people, don't you feel that? There's so much you wanna do and you feel like um, it's always because I'm too young. It might be because you're older. We're gonna recognize this, is that you're gonna be limited by disease and debilitation sometimes. You're gonna be limited by a pandemic and other source, uh, forces. You're gonna be limited by beautiful life events like children and horrifying life events like accidents. And you're gonna be restrained by what? God's providence. Uh, if you haven't met him yet, Jonathan Coke, he sent me this sonnet, sonnet number 19 by Jill and John Milton. And if you know this about sonnets is they name them just basically by the first phrase. <laughs> And the first phrase of sonnet number 19 by John Milton is this, um, when I consider how my light is spent, meaning like what I put my energies toward, my abilities, my, my brightness, right? When I consider wh where, I, where I gave my energies to, so like a lifetime of work, of industry. He ends it this way, it is gorgeous. So he says this, thousands, thousands of people, thousands at his bidding speed, Thousands are bustling around doing what he wants, God wants. Thousands at his bidding speed and post or land and ocean without rest. They're so busy and they're hardly resting and they're doing beautiful things for him. This is the last line, it's gorgeous. They also serve who only stand and wait. Whoa, they also serve who only stand and wait.
that's recognizing that our lives are providentially ordered. And the tertiary call says, we're going to recognize providence and the movements of God, where he has me, what season of life I'm in. And I'm going to say, God, your hand is on my life. And I am not going to waver in my trust and faith in that idea. So uh, primary call, follow Jesus, right? Secondary, he puts you in a time, place with specific abilities and he orders all things. So... Um, Let me wrap it up. I have a section here you're not getting. Secret section, deleted on the fly. Ha <laughs> ha. You're welcome. You can email me for the secret section. Um, what's our hunger when we're trying to discern the call of God on our lives? What do you, what is the assignment you want from me? Well, we want to be useful and we want our work to count, don't we? We want it to do something beyond feeding our own faces and our family's faces. We want it to do something beyond padding our retirement. We want our work to count. Now, how do I know that your work will count in Jesus? That his assignment that he gave you, even in standing and waiting, will count. It will be useful. How do I know that? Because by the power of God the Father, Jesus' work counted in external evident failure. Joseph, Esther, Jonah's, Abraham's, Paul's, Stephen's work counted because of that power of God the Father in his son. He made his work count. Um, yes, we discern and wrestle with what he, where he has us and where he wants us to go. And then we trust, we trust that there is nothing that is gonna separate us from that love of God the Father. And we trust that the deadest of things, the deadest of things, will bear fruit because of the power of the resurrection, and it's true. So let's pray into that while we move into our time of communion. Our Jesus, um, there's parts of me that I, I, I know that I don't wanna give over to you, but I think by your spirit, I'm saying I want you over that square inch. I want to I want to reinvigorate that primary calling and continue to unfold with my friends and with myself what you would have us do in this specific time in this specific place with our specific abilities and then give us strong hearts of faith trusting that you are providentially ordering our lives in Jesus' name, amen.